Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and part two of your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Why two parts? Well, you sent in 127 questions, uh, almost 6,000 words worth of items leaving the duel in Detroit, and there was no way. We're going to get to all them in the first episode, so we're going to do a part two here, and guess what? No, we're not just going to go straight into your questions because, well, a couple things have happened since we recorded on Monday. New one or two of them were likely to happen. Happy to see that they did. Hey, Kevin Magnuson, welcome to IndyCar, brother. And hey, Oliver Askew, welcome to your second consecutive week of subbing for injured drivers. Sadly, Renus VK on the sideline, taking a header on his bike and suffering the injury that tends to come with those headers, that being broken clavicle. So we're going to get into that in just a sec. As always, want to say huge thank you to you for all the questions that you send in. Big thanks to Jim Kaiser as well, who puts together all the questions. Then, of course, the Cooper Tire Company. Beautiful, beautiful people. They make the Road to Indy possible, and there's going to be some awesome Road to Indy action this weekend at Road America. The Justice Brothers. Oh, I love me some Justice Brothers. I really do. And then TorontoMotorsports.com. Equal love for our friends north of the border who will be on site this weekend at Road America with their mobile merchandise and mirth trailer down by turn five, bottom of the hill. Go check out our pal Derek Koska, our fine, fine man. That is the artist, Roger Warwick, who draws just about everything you see related to the show. So if you are at lovely Road America, go see those kooks down by turn five. Take home some merchandise, T-shirts, stickers, whatever. Have a good old time. So, hey, uh, Kevin Magnuson driving for Aero McLaren SP in that number seven Chevy. This is the same vehicle, of course, that Oliver drove last weekend, substituting for Felix after his injury, driving that car on Sunday. Know that the finish by no means what they wanted, but the engine, uh, something went a little wacky about what 45 46 laps in so finished last but if you got a chance to read my new rewind column the uh, cool down lap on racer.com delve into a little bit of how oliver's performance was actually freaking staggering considering he'd never driven the car at detroit and had no warm-up just straight into qualifying straight into the race so pretty pretty awesome right there um He's going to be subbing for Renus VK, as I mentioned. That was the first piece of news. Understand that this is actually something the Aero McLaren SP team had um, set in motion, actually, I think the day, possibly, uh, the day that Oliver subbed. So it looks like they were trying to plan ahead, and provided Felix did not get the all-clear from IndyCar to compete at Road America, which he did not. Uh, we do have a situation where it looks like they were planning ahead, saying, well, this is just being honest. 
They've already employed Oliver to be their driver last year. He was available to help in a pinch, which was awesome. But do we really think that they were going to rehire him next year? Felix is under contract, right? But we know the contracts always can be uh, renegotiated, terminated, and whatnot. But just safe to say, great of Oliver to be there and be willing. Awesome of the team to put him in the car. Hopefully put some money in his pocket. He did really fine work in it in a uh, tough situation. But if we're just talking about planning for the future, it's okay to say they're not looking at Oliver. So why not try something different with someone different? That being Kevin Magnuson. So as I understand, uh, there was early outreach to Kev. He is all good to go in the car. And just sharing this because it's probably the number one item that was asked about today. So could Kevin do more races if he needed uh, or if they needed? Could he be a longer term, short term solution if Felix is unavailable to go a couple of weeks from now, mid-Ohio or who knows for the future? I can tell you this because I asked, asked the McLaren team. Their deal with Kev is one race, one race only. Am I saying there's no way he would be willing or able to sub later? Who knows where, but is it impossible that he could sub again? I wouldn't go that far, but I would say for those who love Kevin Magnuson and would want to see him either in the seven car full-time for the rest of the year there are a couple of IMSA conflicts with the Cadillac Chip Ganassi racing team that lent him to Aaron McLaren SP. So that's his primary job. The You can also safely assume that in this brand new Cadillac Chip Ganassi racing IMSA program, that Kevin's participation is very important. <laughs> central, central part of that program coming together and being what it is knowing how drivers, especially a higher-profile driver like Kevin, could be a really significant part of the marketing investment and plans. Yeah, uh, love you and don't want to stand in the way of you stepping in at Road America, but IMSA is the number one priority for his employers, and Chip Ganassi Racing are his employers for the year, even though they're allowing him to do this uh, this stand-in for Felix. They're also keen on Felix, right? They're former drivers, so lots of fun there. But this is truly a one-off. If there's a need for more, I'm sure it would be discussed. But frame of mind, this isn't something where Chip Ganassi Racing is going to say, hey, whenever you want him, he's yours. Another question that came in from a couple of folks so, Cadillac, General Motors brand, Chip Ganassi Racing, they obviously are partnered with GM in NASCAR as well, with Chevrolet. The Aero McLaren SP team, Chevrolet, was General Motors, a conduit somehow of Kevin coming over and being used for the weekend. I was told 100% not. Zero involvement zero anything, strictly team-to-team, 
no manufacturer involvement whatsoever. So again, not like these things mean anything. The guy's going to climb the car. He's going to drive the wheels off of it. I think he's going to do amazing and he's going to love. I can't wait to hear his first quotes coming out of free practice. Well, the first and only practice on Friday, late afternoon, early evening. Uh, I cannot wait just to hear his thoughts because it's just one of those amazing tracks we have here. So uh, he'll be there not too long from now in IMSA for that weekend, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship event. But nonetheless, Kev's in for one race, one race only, no big picture thing in place now. We'll just say and share, for those who don't know, who don't really follow sports cars, Kevin is signed, as I mentioned, to the Ganassi team for one season in IMSA. After his first race with them in January, announced that he will be joining full-time the Peugeot World Endurance Championship team uh, back in Europe for 2022. So that's his full-time gig for next year. So not a lot that I know of, unless we're talking serious money and buyouts and a willingness on his part. Hard to see how Kevin, even if he loves and wins Road America, becomes an IndyCar driver. There are contracts obligating him for multiple years to drive sports cars. But I would say as well... I think he's going to love it. I think we know he's going to love the track. And while he has expressed a desire to do the Indy 500 as a bucket list thing, and, you know, he told me Long Beach would be cool maybe, mindset being, hey, there are some one-off big events I'd like to do just to say that I've done them. I have a sneaking suspicion, y'all, that by the end of Sunday, his mindset probably going to change a little bit too huh wonder if i need to shift from bucket list one or two just to say they've been done to hey uh wonder if there's some more opportunities just to bring a little close to this and get into your questions this is frustrating for a fan, and this is me speaking as a fan, not as a reporter and all that stuff, as a huge fan, longtime fan of Felix Rosenquist. It's frustrating. Uh, seems like we, I mention it or a question comes up on a weekly basis almost on the show this year of, wow, boy, it's not going great. Got to really hope that things turn around quick like a bunny this past weekend at a time where he was one of two drivers really needing to have an amazing month, in uh, my opinion at least, to ensure he would be staying for more than just one year, even though I know he said he has a multi-year contract, uh, really needed things to go well this month, get back in, I don't know the championship hunt i would say i mean that was lost uh, that's been lost for a little bit but just show that he can be a one-two punch with pato award and pato is not making things easy right gang huh. i mean uh he is not making things easy at all oh boy with the guy now holding the lead in the championship, 
having won two races, grabbed, uh, what, two poles as well. Even before things went poorly this weekend, definite gap in performance we've seen between the two drivers. Not all the gap was or has been Felix's fault. We've gone into a number of these things here, but just really frustrated for Felix, who's now having missed the uh, second race at Detroit, having finished last in the first because of the crash. He's now six points ahead of Dalton Kellett, who's last place among full-time drivers. Even if Dalton does not have an amazing weekend at Road America, uh, he's, you know, we can pretty much say that by the end of Road America, Felix is going to be in last place. Missing two races in a row obviously is going to contribute towards that, but it's a big difference between missing two races, losing points, but falling back to 15th or 10th or 18th. It's another thing to have been not in a super great place prior to the crash. And now this just, I think, I think this is going to make things interesting. Not interesting good, interesting bad. Kevin goes well. If Kevin shows well this weekend, I fear that Felix might have to fight to hold on to his seat if the team sees, has a replacement driver come and perform well. So I'm not rooting against Kevin. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting money, hexes, or anything else on anybody. I'm just saying, uh, boy, I wish that crash didn't happen, as everybody wishes that, but I really wish that hadn't happened because I think he was going to have a good, good finish for sure on Saturday and hopefully build on that for Sunday. And now, now we got to wonder, got to wonder, but take, just take this one thing away and it strips out feelings and wishes and hopes and everything else. What's the thing that I mentioned on a frequent basis about Chip Ganassi racing that they have been seeking? Oddly enough, you know, Felix was part of this. It's a constant one-two threat wherever they go. Uh, Ganassi being a three, four car team now. Well, Marcus with his win, some of his potential shown. Well, actually, I don't know if Marcus is in the frame to win every weekend, but we do know that Polo has shown himself to be there, thereabouts. Dixon, for sure. This is the thing they've been hunting for, wishing for. It's been elusive, but they've been trying to find, at minimum, a second driver to be their co-equal opportunity points or win providers to go alongside Dixon. And it sure looks like they got it with Pelot. They've been chasing it for years, finally got it. Keep in mind what Pato is doing right now, leading the championship. Two victories, two poles. By and large, he's been doing it on his own, right? Again, not trying to say anything negative about Felix for the sake of, but this hasn't been a one-two punch. This has been one guy getting the job done. Similar to what Dixon has done many times in recent years. Just driving home the point that while it's amazing Aaron McLaren SP is leading the championship, that this 
young kid is doing it right now and all of these amazing things that we've seen, oh boy, it's really hard to win not just one championship, but multiple and become a constant threat if you've only got that one punch. And so whether it is Felix or someone else, just keep in mind the goal for an Aero McLaren SP or any team that has designs on being a constant threat year in, year out for titles. It's not the teams with just one driver capable of getting there. I realize Dixon's been a little bit of an outlier with Ganassi. He's also the greatest driver of his generation. So, right, he, he's an outlier in and of his own. Boy, I just really hope Felix gets back in the car, starts delivering, and everything's good. All right, where are we going to first for our questions? We're just starting where we left off. And who did we uh, who did we decide to go with? Well, kind of person that I love the most on our show. That's Lyle James, MP, longtime listener, potentially first time successful questionnaire. <laughs> Indeed, love it when y'all send in questions for the first time. So, Lyle, you are opening up this show with the Q's and the A's. Uh, any news? On the new chassis, or better yet, formula that will succeed the DW12. Says, uh, what would be your wish list for finding that perfect balance between design freedom, technical intrigue, and competition slash cost benefit? Also says, all the best to you and your wife. Thank you, Lyle. No news. Need to do a little bit of an update with Jay Fry. Uh, There wasn't any news last time I asked on this, but I always ask and hope that there is. We do know, unless something drastic changes that yeah it's going to be a delara uh, i think a lot of the things we might have discussed on the show in the past law which saying or mentioning you're a long-time listener you might have heard before i think a lot of those things still remain the same we know that this current car has become a porky pig and we need a new chassis that has all of these safety aspects of the current car built in and hopefully lighter just it's a bit of a brick appeal wise styling wise think there could be some things done towards the front of the car raise the nose a little bit just aesthetics hopefully also aerodynamically optimal as well don't know if they would want to go to more underbody downforce right if they would want to go to a more aggressive floor slash underwing and take a little bit of reliance off of the top side wings uh that being mounted to the hashtag front nose (laughs) and uh the rear wing as well uh that could be something to look at for sure Uh, you tend to get a little bit more aero purity if that's the direction you're going um, I don't know if I have anything huge to offer other than this car has become very heavy. It was by no means optimal from a weight distribution when it was launched. It's been improved over the years, but it, I don't know if anyone would argue that it's still everything they'd hoped for. So 
the best thing I could offer here, Lyle, would be there were so many conflicting goals and missions and mandates with the DW12. It was a car designed by committee with a bunch of committees who weren't really thinking along the same lines. And so we got a car that was highly compromised and a lot of work and time has gone in to make it better. I have to hope that with a, what, entirely different technical team at IndyCar uh, and leadership from when the DW12 was conceived and birthed, I just have to believe, Lyle, that with a deeper, stronger engineering team, technical team, our pal Tino Belli, our man Bill Pappas, uh, Jay Fry, not an engineer, but just a, a practical guy, realizing, well, does this make sense? Does that not make sense? Um, you throw in a lot of, I would say, sharper minds who have been working as a team at IndyCar and their ability to then, Lyle, interact with Delara and say, okay, this is what we're thinking, this is what we're looking for, would be massively improved over what we had in comparison to the formation of the DW-12. Uh, yeah. So, other cool thing, I think I mentioned this as well, Tino Belli, IndyCar's director of aerodynamics, or aerodynamic director, whatever the title is, I apologize, Tino. I mean, this is a guy who can legitimately design the whole car himself if uh, they wanted him to, uh, or the aero, or a little bit of both. This is someone who, in concert with Delara, I am very confident, can produce a car that looks great, that has proper mechanical balance, weight distribution, and achieves its safety goals as well without, hopefully, breaking the scales. So, while I'd love to say I've got all these amazing new ideas of what it should be and so on, which I've mentioned many of those before, a lot of them in the electronics area, uh, cockpit area, and so on, I am just pleased to think that IndyCar has a great team in its employ that works directly with Delara and can make sure that what's coming is, if not extremely close to spot on at the beginning, close enough that it can be taken there. That would be a huge change. Uh, let's go to Jenny Zielk. And I hope I'm not killing your last name, Jenny. Uh, Jenny Z, for sure. Um, and is this your first time sending something in? If not, uh, I apologize. But regardless, Jenny, thank you. She says, as positive as the aero screen is from a safety standpoint, seems like our favorite drivers are essentially driving around in an oven. Question one, what was the temperature inside the car this weekend? And question two, uh, who would be most likely to let us strap in a raw chicken to ride with them uh, so we can find out if it cooks during the next hot race? Oh, yes. Um, who wants, which driver would we want to just smell like chicken at the end of the race? And are there any that already do, even without having a raw chicken strapped inside? I love this. Just love it, Jenny. I don't know what the number is. I apologize. Had I seen 
your question beforehand, I would have reached out and asked somebody. I don't know what it was last weekend. Rehashing a little bit of, of stuff we've covered before, never mind doing, I do not mind doing that. We know for sure that there are differences in each driver's ability to process heat. Our pal, Mr. French Fry, Mr. Sebastian Bourdais, in an interview with somebody whose name I'm forgetting with an outlet, which their name I am forgetting, so I apologize there, reiterated what he told me many times more privately than anything, but he made those things public so we can talk about it. Uh, he's just a guy who has about 0% body fat, is as thin, trim, lean, all those things where you go, wow, you are a physical machine that's as fit as can be, uh, lives in the greater uh, St. Petersburg area well accustomed to heat and humidity right that's the environment he lives in on a daily basis so it's not like we're talking about a guy who lives his best eskimo life and then turns up at a hot and sweaty uh, humid detroit and melts so just saying the guy trains constantly cycles constantly is outside in the environment, in a place, lives in a place where, you know, heat and humidity are a thing. And yet, despite being in basically perfect physical shape, regardless of all those measures that he takes, his body does not like heat, does not reject it well. And same thing with Connor Daly. A couple other drivers have said they're in that same general area. Counter to that? As one would expect, there are a number of drivers who aren't bothered by uh, high heat and behind the aero screen with the cooling ducting and the, the helmet hoses and whatnot. Not saying they're running cool, but they're not overly bothered, at least to the point of being distracted. Just a case where you go, there's no consensus. Way too hot. No, I'm fine. I'm in the middle. I could be cooler, but it's not the end of the world. It's a range of responses. Therefore, unity. Unity. Unity is not really something that's been achieved on how it should be treated. What should we do? So as I mentioned in my little cool-down lap thing, hey, IndyCar, y'all have mandated the aero screen. It's time to mandate driver cooling system, a cool suit. I've been saying suit, that's kind of the general uh, expression for it, but really it's a, a cool shirt where there is a pump. It's basically a miniature air conditioning unit that pumps cooled water, uh, cool water that circulates through this little AC unit through the driver's shirt. And it has little veins, little tubes that are sewn in front and back and just meant to cool the core back in the day there was cool everything cool pants cool shirt cool caps right put it a little thing same kind of hoses running through to try and cool your noggin and uh, when they worked it was great the amount of reports during the 80s when they first took off of yes and the cool suit failed 
and it'd be whatever happened with the little uh, recirculating motor or whatever else. And all of a sudden, the poor bastard in the car is truly, you could throw a raw chicken inside their suit, and you, you could do it at each pit stop, and it'd be fully cooked and fresh, uh, like just smelling one, well, along with, I guess, sweat? That's a little gross, but yeah. Uh, what you effectively had was, hey, here's this full-body thing that back then was thicker, for sure, but is meant to cool. But when it failed, uh, it's like wrapping you in blankets um, and making things so much worse. So heat exhaustion and drivers getting out and throwing up and having to uh, either retire the car or try and put a co-driver back in. But this is some old back in the day stuff today it's really a cool shirt we've seen teams a couple of teams that have developed their own uh cool shirt call it cool suit technology with the little pump and whatnot and recirculate uh cooler water cooler liquid through and that's been great but that's been an independently done thing so as i wrote my little note hey indycar you mandated this screen it's not equal for every driver in terms of their ability to reject heat using the scoops and ducts that you have included. It's time to mandate the actual cool suit system. Come up with a, just like you put together a party of four entities to create the aero screen need to do the same thing. Don't do a lot of racing between now and Nashville um, on August 8th. I don't know if that's enough time to come up with 25 of these, but knowing that there's some teams that already have their own, but they do need to come up with something uh, to mandate it for availability, at least for teams. Um, Knowing that not every team will have a driver that says, yeah, I need it. Well, if they don't want to run it, okay, but everyone's going to be running ballast uh, for those who don't run it or for those who don't use it. So let's forget the, argument that we've heard about why well, hey, there are some engineers who don't want the extra weight so they're trying to talk their drivers out of it and you need to just remove that conversation altogether come up with a spec uh, system mandate it and for those who use it great for those who don't then you need to install uh, same amount of ballast that the suit would uh, accommodate on its own and make sure that weight and performance and whatever None of those things are a factor in deciding whether to use it or not. So, yeah, this is just the last thing they need to do, Jenny. Um, Take care of the drivers. That's the weird thing here, right? Uh, This aero screen, strictly about driver safety. Well, as a result, this safety device for some drivers has added a knock-on safety concern. Well, time to erase that concern. Uh, Andy Sterling says, what are your thoughts about Romain Grosjean's firefighting incident? Uh, it sure appeared to be a classic PTSD response to trauma, super activated nervous system, irrational thinking, emotional dysregulation made me both respect him more and think how crazy they all are. Well, that probably goes a little bit deeper into things than I had ventured Andy. It did seem like there was a exceptional concern being displayed of Romat to try and get someone, one of the uh, the corner marshals, to go over and put out the fire or give him a fire bottle to do so himself. Let me take a sip here. 
I can't play armchair psychologist and give you a real answer because I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I haven't spoken with him uh, since the race, <clears throat> nor would I bug him about this. So just say that it certainly did catch his attention, and he was very, very uh, motivated, vehemently motivated to try and tend to this fire. Uh, I've heard that there were leaking brake caliper seals and uh, the fluid caught on fire. Uh, that was the reason for both front brakes being on fire. Just throw in one other little wrinkle, maybe, that's a part of this. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this scenario in Formula One over the last many decades of watching F1 of car comes to a halt, there's a fire. It doesn't have to be a big raging fire, but just something. Or smoke. And a driver running over to a marshal's post to wave like mad to get them to react and come to the car or to give them a fire bottle to go take care of it themselves. That's not something we see a lot of in IndyCar. It really isn't. When I saw this, I definitely flashed a little bit to Roman's fire, and okay, is he being, quote, triggered by that a little bit? But then I also thought, you know, for the average F1 driver, this kind of, hey, uh, can't you see the thing that's going on? Can you come over and help? No, okay, well, then can you give me something to do it? Like, it's a very F1 visual of that. Can you help? And hopefully some do, but not always. Sometimes you see the frustration, right? The All right, the corner marshals are coming over with the fire bottle, and they're maybe a little slow or fumbling around, and the driver takes the bottle out of their hand, you know, pulls the pin and uses it themselves. Seen that, I don't know how many times in F1. So just say that's maybe the one other thing to consider, Andy, that fire usually equates for an F1 driver to, I'm probably going to have to do this myself, huh? And uh, he did tried to at least until the AMR safety team showed up and basically ushered him away and said, no, 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 we got you, we got you, we got you. So, yeah. Um, look, the guy's a gamer. We know that for sure. Uh, if anything, we would have expected him to do the, the Ricky Bobby, uh, help me, I'm on fire, Tom Cruise, whatever routine, not necessarily strip down to his underwear and run up the racetrack, but, you know, uh, get the heck away from the car that I would say would have been a classic response to someone, you know, wanting to make sure that they get super far away. Instead, the guy did the opposite of like, Hey, I'm going to go back to the fire. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with all the angles here, but like you super respect him. And yeah, they're all crazy. Like, come on, man. We know that for sure. Uh, Tim glass, asks, why wasn't Joseph Newgarden penalized on Saturday for using the runoff or shortcut to uh, cut the fountain complex under green? Probably saved him 10 to 20 seconds on three wheels, uh, which made it much easier to get back on the lead lap later in the race and also put people behind the walls at risk when the uh, wheel finally came off and bounced off the safety truck. Uh, Could have been a very dangerous and deadly outcome. Also, belated happy loving day. To you and Chabrell from my wife and I. Well, thank you. 
I don't even know what loving day is. So thank you, Tim. Um, I was unaware of this. I apologize. Uh, I suck. I don't know. Um, I mean the, the emergency lane there, the, uh, the, the runoff that goes straight, um, between that little complex. I mean, it's, it's there to be used if you have a problem. Uh, and he was certainly having a problem. So I, we're talking saving time and seconds and all that. Yeah, I, I guess so. But I mean, if you're talking about a guy with a wheel coming off, I think we can pretty much acknowledge you're having some sort of detrimental moment. Um, getting back on the lead lap later, yeah, again, I, I don't see him using the uh, the bypass as the thing that all of a sudden got him back on the lead lap. I would say we had a couple things happening on Saturday, yellow slash red wise that um, uh, certainly contributed to that. Uh, let's see. Damien, the IndyCar Brit. How you doing, Damien? Uh, you ask seven different winners this season, but not new garden, not power, not Pagano, not Rossi, not Ryan Hunter, Ray, not Hinchcliffe, not Bordet, Sato or Ray Hall. What would the odds on that have been before the season. I know, right? I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you there, Damien. Um I mean I'm also looking at the standings right now and on the odds. Uh who would have predicted halfway point of the year? And I say halfway point because there were seventeen races originally scheduled. There's sixteen right now without Toronto, with Toronto having been cancelled reading some of Roger Penske's quotes from last weekend, also going recently with what I wrote, knowing that IndyCar is basically of the mind that we could replace Toronto with one or two events or do nothing at all. It feels like they're leaning towards not adding it, so we are truly eight races down, eight to go. Uh, At the halfway point, would we have predicted, oh yeah, Pato Award leading Alex Pillow and Renus VK in fifth as well? Like, these are just things where you go, yeah, if anyone had put up that bet, I actually would have taken it because it would have been so crazy. Uh, I would have only put like $5 on it, but it would have been so insane. Those are the only bets that ever interest me. Not like, hey, will Scott Dixon be leading the championship at the halfway point or Joseph Newgarden? Uh, I mean, yes, (laughs) that should be the answer should be yes every year. One of those two guys. I would have definitely taken this bet because it was so insane. And indeed, this is what we have. Uh, what? What? What is going on here? Uh, I mean, let's just talk about some other crazy things here as well, Damien. So, who's 19th in points right now? Santino Ferrucci. Mr. I've done three of the eight races. He finished sixth at Indy, double points, used that to propel himself high and far, then backed it up with a sixth at Detroit round one. I know that he crashed and, and uh, yeah, lumped up the tub pretty bad, and the team had to scramble to get a spare car ready for him on Sunday. Nonetheless, all those things finishes 10th, right? The guy's done three races, all three inside the top 10. Um, 
I know Santino Ferrucci might not be the most sympathetic character in the world. I don't need to rehash all that or my thoughts. Strictly as a driver of racing cars, the guy is 19th in points off of three races. Ahead of James Hinchcliffe, full-time. Ahead of Romain Grosjean, who's done five races. Ahead of Felix, who's done seven. And ahead of Dalton Kellett, who's done all eight. Uh, Santino, and again, just talking about, wow! Santino is only eight points behind Ed Jones! 12 points behind Connor Daly! Uh, what, 17 behind Ryan hunter Ray and Sebastian Bourdais? All people who have contested every single race. Just saying, we know we've never questioned whether Santino was talented. That was never a topic of discussion, or of rational discussion at least. Here he is in a good team, strong team, like Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, and... His overall average finishing performances in the three races he's done with the team better than Takuma Sato. And I think, obviously, Graham had the wheel fall off at Indy, and that really ruined things for him. But Graham's followed that up with a pair of fifth-place finishes at Detroit. So, again, the Indy result is an outlier. It's not something where we'd say he performed 32nd best in the field, but you just have to look and appreciate that Santino is so far hauling the mail and delivering the goods. So super happy to see him doing that. I would imagine the team would be considering him for possibly a bigger role in the future. After that, Still some surprises here. Uh, Scotty McLaughlin. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> Yet another reason why I love Scott McLaughlin. So posted the uh, the cool down lap in there. Well, we don't do this every race weekend. If there's a driver that stands out as Mr. Invisible, the driver who was at the race, but eh, not really in the race, uh, we'll give that quote award that no one wants to whomever. Uh, well, there were two races and Scotty finished 19th and 20th and really wasn't a factor. It's not because he doesn't know how to drive or any of that stuff. Just had that crash in practice right away in practice on Friday, and the weekend just took a nosedive from there. As a result, he was at the race, not really in the race. Gave him the Mr. Invisible. So because Scotty's just awesome, I get this text from him within an hour of it going up, like you know, whatever he said. Long story short, he is he never wants to win it again. And then funnily enough, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, it's just like one of those things where you go, how do you not love the guy who actually cares about this stuff? He, uh, he mentioned that he'd been refreshing Racer all week long. <laughs> to see that column out of fears that he was going to get the Mr. Invisible Award, and it finally went up, and he got to that part, uh, and he got the Mr. Invisible Award. So how do you not love the guy who's as humble as that? Like, uh, nope, I never want to, I never want that again. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I never get it. So, again, I mean, in a normal world, uh, I, I seriously doubt he's going to get it again this year, probably 
any time going forward. But anyways, I just mentioned the Scotty part because even though he had a truly crappy weekend and a not awesome Indy 500, right, speeding penalty, break, uh, uh, break issue that caused that, by the way. It wasn't just him forgetting when to break and slow down on pit lane, but uh, 20th, 19th, and 20th are his last three finishes. You take this bad 19th and 20th at Detroit, and he's fallen from 10th to 12th in the standings. Um, but uh, I hope you caught the subtlety there. He fell from 10th to 12th. The guy's a freaking rookie, right? Every single track is brand new to him in terms of racing other than St. Pete. And the guy was holding 10th coming out of Indianapolis. He's fallen back to 12th. He's currently five points behind teammate, team leader-ish kind of, at least team veteran, Will Power. He's right behind Power. Uh, just saying, Damien, some of the surprises. Uh, we knew Scotty was going to be good, but not how good. Detroit a bit of a outlier, knock-on effect from that crash, but... I expect him to be back in the groove, possibly moving up the order a little bit. Um, I'll just park here for a sec to throw out a few names in the standings that I think we're going to see some moving here pretty quickly, up or down. Uh, Bourdais, our man Bourdais is up to 15th, left Indian 18th. Um, I think he's going to have a decent weekend here for sure at Road America, and then hopefully again at Mid-Ohio as well. So I think we're going to see him marching up some spots. Rossi, come on, man. There's no guy in the field. And I don't like the word deserves because, you know, look, other than air and, I don't know, a few other things in life, I don't know if anything's, quote, deserved. But if there's a guy who deserves to just have a great weekend and remind himself and everyone else that he's a badass mofo of a race car driver it's alexander rossi so could i see him winning this weekend 100 percent uh jack harvey uh boy the season started strong and it's been a progressive uh going in reverse there he's down to 13th in the standings uh one point ahead of rossi considering how poorly rossi's season has gone to think that Jack's only one point ahead of him is maybe a little bit of a surprise, but uh, Rossi in 14th, I expect him to move up uh, significantly here over the next round or two. Harvey, I think, will as well, right? There's a need there. This is a bad time to be not having great finishes knowing he's in a contract year. already mentioned McLaughlin. Going to get that cleaned up. He's going to run stronger power as well. Very much could be on pole and possibly win. Sato's one that I don't have a great feeling for right now. Not sure what we're going to get out of him. Uh, Saturday at Detroit was great. Best finish of the year in fourth. Now holding 10th. More than half of his finishes this year have been outside the top 10. 12th or worse. And while 12th isn't terrible, just saying... Been a little bit of a strange one so far. Herta, Colton Herta, strange one as well. Uh, this is a guy who, again, could be on pole and win this weekend. Wouldn't doubt that at all. 
Uh, Graham Rahal, if we take that one, uh, we take that one weird, I shouldn't say weird, but that one bad Indy 500 finish out, the guy is, I don't know, third in standings, fourth in standings. Graham's the sleeper of the year in terms of performances. If we forget the Indy 500 result because of the wheel falling off and him finishing next to last, since round three at Texas, Texas one, he finished fifth. Texas two, he finished third. Indy Grand Prix, he was fifth. Indy 500, we know how that went. Detroit one, he was fifth. Detroit two, he was fifth. This guy is truly suffering, if you want to call it that, eighth in the standings, Damien, because of this Indy 500 result. Uh, the guy's been balling this year, just isn't in that uh, championship position we would expect. Erickson up to seventh with his win. That has super helped. I think we're going to see more good finishes that will keep him there, thereabouts in seventh. Could I see him going up to fifth or sixth, maybe down to eighth, jostling a little bit, possibly. Pagano is one I'm, I'm a little bit curious about. Twelfth um, round one at Detroit, eighth in round two. Very decent weekend for Simon. Non-threatening weekend, though and maybe similar to the Jack Harvey note, while I don't pretend to know Simon's contractual situation, if he has indeed signed with Penske or if he's on the radar to go somewhere else again, I couldn't tell you. Um, The last time I asked, he got very snippy and barked at me. So I don't know the answer to that one. But I do know that it was a somewhat familiar Simon Pagano weekend of you were there, thereabouts, decent, by no means the first or really even the second uh, person on the depth chart at Penske. And just saying, uh, if you're trying to convince your current boss to keep you or you're trying to get really solidly picked up somewhere else, uh, maximum attack, maximum attack is really the way to go. Uh, Renus obviously is going to fall down a little bit. He's sitting fifth right now. Um, poor result on Sunday of 18th to go with a great result on Saturday of second, but he's going to drop down the standings a little bit missing this weekend. Don't know if he's going to be able to go at mid Ohio. I know he's going to want to go, but his championship quest is probably a little too remote. If he misses more than one race, he's currently, what, 56 points back from Pato, and that's going to stretch a bit. We'll see what happens there. Really feel for him. Uh, wow, what, a, what an amazing year so far for him and Ed Carpenter Racing, right? That, that's been the, the cool thing, too, I would say, Damien. ECR with this kid has risen, and we know that Connor's been fast as well. In terms of results, Renus has been the one getting them and sitting fifth. Pretty amazing. New Garden, I think, is just going to continue uh, to do positive things. Three second-place finishes this year. It's really hard to ignore. Um, the guy's been inside the top six 
at all but, what, three races, I think. So if he isn't the first to win for Penske, I'll be somewhat surprised. He or he in power, we know, can certainly get there first uh, and quickly. Little note here on Dixon, just to, to round things up uh, and move on, Damien. It's been interesting. I mean, Dixon has that one win at Texas for sure, has, what, two podiums, and has been there, thereabouts since the Indy GP. Indy 500, again, didn't exactly go to plan, but, yeah, you know, uh, that crispness. That, wow, look out, qualifying, strong just about everywhere, results to match. Been doing what he needs to to bank points, but they haven't been the sharpest points, right? An eighth at Detroit 1, a seventh at Detroit 2, a ninth at the Indy GP. Um, You know, just some of those where you go, those we seem to recall being more seconds, thirds, fourths, if not a win. Just wonder. It would be curious to see this weekend, is there a return to form for Dixon in terms of being up front and you know truly in the mix the whole time? I know he was on pole at Indy, but just saying we're needing to look at road and street courses dominating the rest of the calendar, and if we're talking about bad qualifying performances and having to march through the field over and over again, it's going to be hard for him to stay in touch with uh, with everyone else. And so then we'll get to Alex Pillow. Biggest surprise slash biggest breakout star of the year. And he's right behind the big breakout star of last year in Pato. So I don't know if I think Pillow is going to fall much. Uh, I think he's going to hover around top three, top four. Don't know if he's going to get the lead back that uh, Pato took from him, but it feels like there's something pretty special happening with uh, Aaron McLaren SP right now with that entry. So I think if we're talking the top four award, Pelot, Dixon, and New Garden, I think we're going to see a little bit of movement up or down, maybe a little bit. But we've got Award and Pelot who've broken away 30-plus points ahead of uh, Dixon. And then Dixon's 15 or so ahead of New Gar- uh, New Garden. Uh, VK is not far behind, but that's going to change. You got uh, Pagano, who's in sixth uh, right now on the same amount of points as VK. And then after that, there's a bit of a shelf. You go down to Marcus Erickson, 211 points, you know, 88 back from Award. And again, from Marcus on down, got a lot of folks who are going to need to do big things points-wise quickly to stay in the hunt. Not saying they can't or won't do well and get up to fourth, fifth, sixth, or whatever by the end of the year, but truly, if you have championship designs, you're going to have to do something right now to get that gap down. So you cannot bank on that magically happening once we get into uh, the latter stages of the season. All right, where are we going next on the good old pod to the cast? Alexander Shepard, you pick up for us similar theme like we just covered a little bit, but more on the individual driver performance front. That being Jimmy Johnson asking thoughts about him, opinions about how much improvement he showed this year 
And was his improved pace at Detroit a one-off or a sign of things to come? I'd say it's just the natural part, natural evolution, more time in the car, more speed, more things figured out. So definitely great to see that Jimmy was running faster in terms of competitiveness, I think, than anywhere else we'd seen before. Only thing that stood out is just a little bit of a surprise maybe on that front. I know he had a spin or two. Seems like that voice that you're hoping he's going to start hearing from the car saying, I'm at the limit. I'm over, almost over the limit. Hey, hey, hey. That's the big thing to develop. That's the thing that he needs to start hearing that, can I'll admit that I know he has only done a handful of races, right? He'd done, uh, done well at some of the other events for sure but also not exactly taken off and been in you know insane performance wise but knowing that you know he'd done what three races beforehand uh, we're talking two natural terrain road courses one street course Detroit's a bumpy weird thing get a lot of those items still was a little bit surprised at the uh, the two spins not that you know, there are plenty of folks who spun, right? Not overly harshly judging him, but I did not see anything in those spins that said, wow, was super attacking and just, you know, so going so hard that the car just got away. Had a little bit of a look of being surprised and not knowing where the car was at in terms of the limit. That's maybe the one thing that I would hope for him really get a a stronger grasp of here ASAP. Uh, Let's go where we going next. Jeremiah Morell, how are you and the amazing Mrs. Morell doing? Says, who celebrated in the fountain better this weekend? And sadly, Bud Denker didn't bring a snorkel, uh, as recommended on the show. I, you know what I loved? I loved seeing Pato run around and splash folks. I thought that was, it was so him. Him winning again, big deal, super awesome, happy, blah, blah, blah. The fact that his thought was not just to keep it within himself, within the team, hey, me, I, us. He thought to bring the celebration to, I'm guessing, some folks that he might have known, but also some that he didn't, who were surrounding uh, this lovely, lovely, beautiful item filled with water. So the fact that he ran around and just splashed some folks and brought them in deeper into the celebration, I thought that was really cool. So I would say he wins for sure. Uh, let's see, what else, what else? Uh, Ricky Zagata, hey Ricky, talking about TV coverage. Hey, it's almost like there's some folks who didn't exactly like what they had says i know a lot of people were upset about the tv coverage this weekend is it safe to say this isn't an internal indycar issue uh, but more a money issue says is it safe to say that the sponsors for international tennis simply pay more money for the tv slot than indycar sponsors do i don't know if i would go in that direction at all ricky here i mean we had lacrosse which there's no money behind and so that delayed uh, Saturday's deal a bit, and then Sunday certainly it was big, big tennis match. I 
know there was someone else on Twitter I responded to who was mad, and there were a lot of people. Why does everybody, uh, why am I the guy, by the way, when it comes to if you're mad about IndyCar's TV coverage, why am I the guy who always gets the, the added at? Why am I always getting thrown in here? I want to know. I want answers. Uh, as I've just started to reply to people, I don't work for NBC. Please ask them. Um, at least for how I interpreted things here, Ricky, knowing that there were delays both days, that both events leading in IndyCar ran long with Sundays going very, very long. If you're the fan of the thing that's delayed, you get mad, of course. Totally understand that. But I just try and, as normally I do, kick myself out of the exact scenario and say, all right, well, let's step out and put yourself in the shoes, couch, and whatever of that lacrosse fan or the many, 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 many tennis fans who are watching an event and like we had on Saturday with our stuff going an hour plus over because of the red flag. Granted, IMSA following, but still had a knock-on effect of what came behind. For the IMSA fan expecting to see their race pop onto the TV at the prearranged time and not find it, but find IndyCar and a red flag and whatever else, you'd have to imagine they weren't too happy. Would we, watching the IndyCar race, want NBC to say, well, sorry, (laughs) it's top of the hour. They're supposed to go to something else. Screw you guys for running late. Off we go. We would be losing our minds if that's what they did. Well, I just have the same thought for the lacrosse fans and certainly for the tennis fans. Hey, if you've been watching this match for however long it was going on, an hour plus, and or two, whatever it is, and it's starting to run late, and at the top of the hour they say, hey, by the way, see ya. <laughs> We're going to the other thing. You'd probably be even more angry. So I don't think it has any real thing to do with money and sponsors or whatever else. I think it is. Hi, we're broadcasting this, and we're going to keep broadcasting this. And we're going to try and come up with, if possible, an alternate for what's being bumped right now. And look at one of our other channels. And you'll find the thing, dear viewer who came here, somewhere else. And when this overrun is finished, we'll try and get you back to the primary place you were meant to watch. Also realize that this screws up those who are DVRing things and whatnot. I realize there's a lot of knock-on effects here, but just as I wouldn't want to get booted out of something I was watching because it ran late, uh, let's just be mindful of those who are watching what they were watching. Where I think there's definitely an improvement to be found, Ricky, for sure, it's dissemination of information. It was only because I was sitting on the couch with my laptop ready to report on the IndyCar race and knowing that I sat there early and the tennis match overran what was going to be the pre-race show with no pre-race show and not exactly sure where to find it. um, I just kept the tennis thing on knowing that the race had not started yet, uh, but I kept the tennis thing on with the volume up and at some point, I don't remember. It might have been 20 minutes in or whatever where it should have been the IndyCar race. Uh, One of the announcers mentioned it had been moved over to CNBC. I just tweeted that out the moment that I heard it. Would it be 
a stronger play for NBC or any other network trying to air a whole bunch of different sporting events throughout a weekend, dealing with a delay to put up some sort of graphic on the screen that says, hi, people who came here for a thing that's not here. Uh, We put it at this other place, so go there. If it weren't for just saying, well, I don't know where it is, and I still got some time before I really need to panic, uh, just happened to keep it on. But it wasn't like they're mentioning it every five minutes, every three minutes. Hey, and if you're here for this, it, it just happened to spring out in the middle of nowhere. Just saying. I think, hi, we're going to put up a little crawl, a little something, whatever it is that just says, came here for this, it's not here, go there. We'll bring it back here when we can, but you're not going to miss out on anything because we rerouted it somewhere else. Just the information dissemination, Ricky. I think that was the big takeaway. It's not like this is the first time it's happened, but it did happen twice in two days, and that certainly compounds a feeling that, do you guys really like IndyCar? Um, Yeah, like, hey, realize that you put this on so people will watch it. So when people show up to watch it, make it easy for them to get it if there are things they have to adjust to. Uh, let's see, where are we going next? Our pal John Wojnar, one of the leaders of the Prue Day uh, listener gang. Um, I don't know what. Uh, but anyways, John, who lives in greater Detroit and volunteered as a volunteer was there last weekend routing people being a uh, volunteer officer guy person traffic cop is that too far john i don't know said hey no question just want to give a huge shout out to the fans who came out to belle isle and they were super kind uh and even huger shout out to the volunteers on track services people and bud denker for putting the track back together saturday in near record 90 minutes after Felix's crash. Definitely, 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 definitely. Uh, Jake Ziller, wanting to get back on this Ray Holliderman Lanigan third car topic. Hey, MP, hope all's well with you. Uh, your wife and the cats says, with RLL and hy V saying that they're going to be doing more races together this year, hopefully become a third full-time entry. Are there any rumors as to what other drivers that team is looking at in addition to Ferrucci. Yeah, uh, I haven't really haven't really scouted this one too heavily, to be honest. Uh, would wonder if a Oliver Askew would be someone they wanted to try. I would think that'd be a normal thing. Um, I don't know if there are any like really turnkey people. Uh, where you go, oh, well, oh, my goodness, here's a list of five that are just so obvious to get into the car, at least for one race, to find out, uh, that are, aren't currently employed. Now, you could say, well, hey, you know, there's always some curiosities. Simona De Silvestro, we know Pred Autosport would like to run you at some more races this year. Haven't heard if they will. So, hey, what about you? Uh, R.C. Enerson, that kid's got some talent for sure. Um, I would say, and this would not necessarily fit the putting them in the car uh, for races this year deal, um, 
more along the lines of who would you be talking to if you're trying to think slightly bigger names who are currently obligated? Uh, if if Bob has not already spoken with Romain Groschon, I would be flabbergasted. Uh, a guy like Romain is so far up Bob's wheelhouse. Bob loves, I mean, he's super American, don't get me wrong, but he also has a real affinity for quality European drivers as well. I would say he is certainly on their, uh, would certainly be on a radar if there was a possibility there. I don't know if, you know, a Rossi or, uh, uh, or, or whomever uh, is going to be, available if there's some others but um i would say there's a couple of interesting possibilities but very few that jump out as oh my goodness you've got to stop everything and try them um i don't know if sage Karam would get a consideration i know that there are some european didn't quite make it to f1 types who i would say boy get them in a car just to find out uh, Nick DeVries, very recent F2 champ. Good Lord, that guy is good. And he deserves better than WEC prototypes. Like There are a couple names for sure that I would say look around, hunt around. If I'm talking Jack Hawksworth, possibly, um... That's a, a, a consideration if there's any possibility of him being available. There are some. There are some. But I would say not a ton that leap out at this moment. So, again, altogether, I think they're on to something good, Jake, with, with Santino. Uh, I'd build upon that. But there's another question here, a little bit of a, a bigger, longer lead time, which is right now Takuma at what 44 i don't know how many years are left for him Uh, we know graham's going to be there for the rest of his career but while we're talking about who might be in a third car next year i'd say there's also a need to start planning doing some strategy aimed at who's going to be that second full-time to replace takuma Gonna go next with Don Woodward. Hey Don, you're asking Gray Hall and Ray Hall Letterman Landing and seem to do a lot of livery changes from race to race. Sure it's added value for sponsors. How does the process of change work? You also ask about three or four other questions in one question, so I'm just gonna go with the main one here. Uh yeah, the way they have been doing their sponsorship sales, and I think it's also just a function of the market a little bit is they've had multiple primary sponsors throughout the season for the car. That's compared to, say, Will Power, Verizon 5G, on there for the whole year. While there might be a livery change here or there just to spice things up, primary sponsor, full season, same thing more or less. With what Graham and the team has had for the past many years, it's, hey, you're the primary for three and you're the primary for four and you get two and you get one. And that's just how things have worked out. So when we're talking about the livery changes, it's something where I would say they'd probably love to have a single sponsor that pays for everything year after year, you name it. In reality for them, it's a case of the pie is being sliced into many pieces. And so there's often a need. 
where a sponsor will take a race. We saw this past weekend, certainly uh, lots of work going on there. So that is, uh, that's what they've been doing. They're not the only ones. There are some other teams that have done this too, but they really are the number one practitioners of it. And I'm hoping to get a little story together about some of the finer ways that they have refined this to get the process done. But yeah, uh, it does certainly add work and it adds time, but that's how their team has been funded with his car for a little while now. So thanks for sending that in, Don. And yeah, uh, maybe hopefully we'll have a deeper, uh, deeper story about some of the minutia just might be a, uh, little bit more on uh, some of those extra questions that you asked to uh, to help you there. Let's see, uh, Bob Gravel uh, says, only kind of a question, but yet again this week, the AMR safety team proved themselves the best in the business. Do you think that they will learn anything significant from Felix's crash that will help them? If, uh, God forbid, another similar accident happens, the driver is less okay than Felix. Uh, I mean, I would say they're always learning. They're always meeting and looking at how things happened, if and how things could be done better. If they see any improvements, incorporating those. Um, yeah, so I know it's maybe a bit of a, a quick answer, but yes, they do just like race teams. Do the race, You even the winner. Did some things wrong, things to improve, meet, assess, uh put all those thoughts together and use them as an action item for the next time you go out. Uh, let's see. James counter says, assuming Felix is cleared to race road America, which we know he isn't, but I wanted to take this anyways. How does he turn up on top mental form? Well, going back to one of the earlier comments, uh, these guys are a bit crazy. <laughs> um, that's part of it. And you know, the fortitude is, is pretty strong. Is there a first lap or two or three feeling out process with one's mind? Hey, last time I was in this thing, uh, some not good things happened. I think it'd only be natural for a driver in those first lap or two, maybe just the install lap during the first practice session, the out and in, you know, might've just taken a moment to uh, take a, uh, a deep breath and exhale and let it go. But in general, keep in mind that they're natural scenario is going at outrageous speeds and doing insane things with a vehicle. So something insane happened to Felix the last time he was in the car. That might take a moment to uh, reflash his mental ECU, but eh, uh, most of the best, they keep it moving, keep it going. And even some of the greats, haven't always been able to do that, but Felix, he's a tough bastard. Uh, the mental side never even really occurred to me with him because, um, yeah, he's made us made out of some very, very hard, hard stuff. Uh, let's see, where should we go here? Nicole mentioned with uh, the crash there, glad that Felix is okay and will recover. That was scary. Will IndyCar think about using something else along with the tire barriers that will help when the cars crash, also will they let the teams put fans on the cars when a red flag occurs? Uh, wrote about this as well, Nicole. So maybe you got some of this on racer.com. They do let the teams put fans on the cars. 
Um, our pal Will Power absolutely cried wolf on this, made a big mess out of something that wasn't a mess. IndyCar does indeed allow teams to put fans on the cars. They just don't let crew members go running to the cars uh, the moment that they stop. It's kind of a, a wait to get every single car lined up and then let them go. So uh, they d- did that, do that, will continue to do that. Um, as for the fencing part, I just wanted to take this one, and it's just sharing reality. Not It's not nitpicking at all, but when we go to every track other than the Indianapolis 500, those are all independently owned or operated. With the case of Detroit, that's a bit different. That is promoted. That is a Roger Penske production. Uh, so this is something where they engage, place the barriers, place the tires, place the, the fencing, the poles, the, all that stuff. This is something that they are in charge of. Of course, they don't own this. This is a, a city-owned park. But when we talk about will IndyCar do this or do that at every race that we go to, those are all the items that are owned, rented, or permanently installed by the people who either own the racetracks, the, being the uh, permanent tracks, or the promoters who put on the uh, temporary events on street circuits. Just mention this because when we're talking about everything, for example, that was put up at turn six, uh, I don't know the details whether the Penske organization owns all the barriers, rents all the barriers, does all that stuff. But this is something where when we go to Road America this weekend, that's all owned by Road America. It's not IndyCar stuff. Um, There's certainly IndyCar involvement in what they sign off on and say, yes, we believe this is safe or not safe. Hey, move this a little bit, add a little bit more of that, put some more of this here to make things safer in case there's a crash. But... And just wanted to draw the distinction here that it's a it's a it's one of those weird compromises that has never sat well with me in racing and that is since the people putting on the races do not own the vast majority of the tracks where they race there's not necessarily a standard that is or can be applied nicole and so that's the part where I'm like, ah, you go to this street course event and you see the fencing put up and it is totally different from another street race promoted by another group. And you go, okay, um, uh, why isn't this something that is being held to a specific standard outlined by IndyCar? Um, and it's one of those uncomfortable things. So I know I'm maybe sharing a bit of an obvious item, but just want to add my perplexity, not a word, where I think it's just the costs. I think these things cost so much that in the case of many events where they've been in place for a long time and have had the same things, again, whether they rent or buy or it's a combination of both of the things that go up for the street races, and for the more for the permanent tracks, um, there's just a lot of variance from event to event, and how things get done. So that to your exact point, 
Is there something they might do differently next year? I don't know. Could there be? Of course. I mean, Felix hit hard enough to knock over a 7,000-pound concrete barrier. It's insane. I mean, the front of his car bludgeoned that thing and knocked it over. Um, I don't believe there are any holes in that fence. And I'm talking about photographer's holes for there to be shooters right behind it. I could be wrong, but uh, imagine if photographers were behind that and by chance not looking at what was coming at them or turned around and whatever, distracted. A 7,000-pound barrier land, falling over on somebody. <sighs> So I don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure what they would do differently. Of course, I'm sure we could come up with all kinds of things, but just saying, I don't know what the practical decision might be, but it's just where I wonder if and when we'll ever get to a time where there is a standardized approach that every track we go to uses what is all agreed upon as the best barrier technology, the correct amount of cushioning whether it's a safer barrier tires whatever it's the variance where you go i don't know i think there should be something i just can't tell you exactly what it should be because i don't know um all right last uh last couple of questions for you then we're gonna say farewell uh where daniel summersgill will power stated the uh that he wanted to do fights after races. Who should be his first opponent in stipulation? Uh, let's see. It says New Garden after his passing antics um, after power pitted in race one and a kennel from Hell Match. That's your idea. I think uh, race director Kyle Novak, right? Because power was ultimately just dragging his name into the dirt. Um, where I think that'd be funny, and I realize that. Most of you have probably never seen Kyle Novak. He's not a small man. He is a tall man. And, you know, he's not a giant, but, you know, uh, a man with height, a man with a little bit of width. Um, He'd be punching down for sure at power. Um, Yeah, I mean, Will's got the crazy part. But if we're talking, and he did say boxing. He didn't say MMA. He didn't say kickboxing. He didn't say chess boxing. He didn't say wrestling. He said boxing, straight up, fisticuffs, no uh, foot sticuffs. Um, so that means Will would have to abide by some sort of rules, right, with a referee in the ring. I think that takes away a lot of his power because him going insane and tackling somebody and elbowing them and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, that seems like something he would do if he was allowed. But if I'm just going by what he said with boxing, uh, I'd say let's get race director Carl Novak in there. And I think Will Power would never say a disparaging word again. Justin Holmes, how many drivers do you see realistically having a shot at the title based on the tracks that are left? Love that one, Justin. Love it, love it, love it. Hmm. Joseph Newgarden, he's out for sure. He's terrible at the rest of the tracks we go to. Kidding. Um, here's the part that I'll maybe add or throw in or modify things a little bit. Look, all the real contenders here are going to be contenders unless, again, crazy things happen that no one can predict. 
Pato, I don't foresee him falling out of the top three or four. Palo, similar. Dixon can see him rise. Newgarden, I feel like, feel like he's on the cusp of going nuclear. Feel like he's he's about to do some spectacular things. I don't know if I look at the rest of the tracks and go, oh well, Road America, Mid Ohio, Nashville, going back to the Indy Road Course, Gateway, Portland, Laguna, Long Beach. Like, oh well, boy, one driver slots into those as the best odds compared to the rest more than others i think we're just going to see the top four that i mentioned rise renus of course question mark how many races will he miss what's that going to do to his title chances i don't know if i'm ready to say ed carpenter racing is prepared to win a championship but it feels like they're building ray hall as i mentioned that indie finish really hurting him for where he's at in the standings right now. But if he can keep that overall momentum going, he's moving forward. Herta, I think, is going to be there. I don't know if I think anyone else is really going to get there. So I'd say for the top four, Award, Pelot, Dixon, Newgarden, I expect them to be in the mix on poles and winning races over the last eight races. I think Ray Hall and Herta are really the other ones that are going to join in to make it more of a six-way party with Renus being a little bit of an outlier. So we know Dixon, good at Mid-Ohio, good at Road America. No one's been to Nashville, but again, Scott Dixon and street courses, good. Uh, New Garden, good. Uh, a lot of these guys, good. Um, I like the the event angle. One place that I think is going to be an interesting mix is Chip Ganassi Racing has invested some pretty serious time at Laguna, right? Laguna Seca, the penultimate round, um, where many other teams have not. And so if we're talking about trying to be good towards the end of the season to really do your best to make sure that you've got a big points haul, I think that's only going to pay off for Polo and Dixon as we get towards the end of the year. So that's really the only one that jumps out so far as a, hmm, the strategy that they've used. And it was very specific, right, with those four private test days they have to use pretty much wherever they want. Um, that's a, a not the Indy 500 and not a street race. Uh, they decided to backload the season a little bit. So we'll see if that pays off. Uh, and if Polo and Dixon are in a place where it even matters, right? Who knows? Maybe they have some misfortune and they're not really in the title hunt. But the thing I wanted to add here that I, th- oh, Justin, this is the, the part that fascinates me as the, the former bad race car engineer is, hey, how has the first half of the season gone? Which teams that we expected to be ballers haven't been so much? Therefore, what can we expect from those who've gotten off to a underwhelming or less awesome start than they expected? What kind of second half rebound should we look for from an engineering standpoint? This happens every year. Teams just, hey, thought we were going to be awesome. It wasn't. Well, we can't just pray and hope we magically get better. We need to invest more time, more money to try and come up with solutions that aren't going to fix things overnight, 
but should start to pay off second half or so of the season. Would say Andretti Autosport certainly be in that department, right? They haven't been bad, but we haven't seen them super crisp at a lot of races, knowing that Colton has that one win for them, but they haven't been a serious we're-going-to-win type threat at pretty much everywhere we've gone. Uh, I'd say the Ganassi team's been very good, but again, there's a little, little something. doesn't seem to be there. Penske team hasn't been bad at all. We know that Will Power was a handful of laps away from a very likely victory. We know that while, granted, he couldn't quite figure out why Pato was so fast, we know that Joseph Newgarden was a very solid second place, a bit of a strategery grenade that didn't help him so much on Sunday, but he certainly had speed. So I don't know if the Penske team is missing anything. I do know that they are not ones to sit around and wish and hope, so I have to imagine they've done a pretty heavy investment in trying to get better uh, with some new things that we should be seeing here. And so, yeah, with this break coming up, I know that when we're done with Road America, we do have Mid-Ohio two weeks later or so. But then after that, we've got a month of nothing. So just saying in this area for teams that maybe haven't been able to develop everything they wanted to, this significant amount of downtime, there's going to be a lot of money spent and a lot of hours burned by teams to try and come up with some magic engineering juice to uh, pose a stronger push to close the season. So that's what I'm looking for. More than who might do well at which track, more of a are we going to see some rise and then some fall? Because trust me, for those who figured out some stuff, it's going to come at the expense of those who haven't or just haven't had the money to do it themselves. Let's see. Uh, John Hollinger, how are you, brother? Says, hey, MP, been wanting to ask this for a few weeks. Um, most team owners are former drivers. Of the current active drivers, who do you see potentially being a team owner one day? Uh, okay. Uh, I assume you're talking IndyCar team owner, not just general, like, running an amateur team. Um, I don't know if he, I don't think he starts his own team. I feel like he maybe takes over or steps in or adds his name. Is it Ray Hall, Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan? Uh, I'm not sure, but Graham Ray Hall feels like something he would do. He loves the business side. So, but I don't know if he's grown enough of his dealerships and performance stuff and all that to want to just focus more on that. Or if he does want to be the guy on the timing stand once he retires at whatever age. Looking elsewhere, Takuma strikes me as someone who might. I, I don't, I'll say I'm, I'm 50-50 on that at most. I don't have a lot of confidence there, but I feel like Takuma's life is wrapped enough around IndyCar that the thought of him retiring and just being done it seems a little weird. It seems like there's something that he would want to remain connected through or with, whether it's starting his own team, Ray Hall, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, Sato. Hey, <laughs> Who knows? 
after that, uh, power, that's not him. Uh, who else? Bourdais too smart to do that. Uh, Ed Carpenter should think about starting his own team someday. I don't know if anyone's ever mentioned that to him. I think that might be about it for me. Well, tell me, you guys, if you're motivated, tell me if you think there are any drivers, not who you just would like to because you like them, but like truly you go, oh, personality-wise, that fits them. Uh, Business-wise, they have a real sense for such things. I can only think of Ray Hall and Sato at the moment. So, yeah, let's add a couple more letters to the RLL R right now. Uh, RLS something. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Two to go. Three to go. Uh, Branch Ricky Farms in the barrel grip. Kyle Kirkwood. Whoa, road to Indy. How bonkers of a statement weekend was that? And lights seems to be Linus, Kirkwood, Malukas, Rumble. No. Uh, what year do you predict we'll see all three on the Indy 500 grid? Uh, is this the next Colton, Pato, Renus, Brat Pack? Uh, if we're talking all three, that feels like a 2023. Uh, could we see all three go next year? We could, for sure. I don't think Linus has any reason to hang around for more than one year. I mean, if a, if a seat opened up right now, I'd say get that kid a quality seat, obviously, not just you're doing it for the sake of doing it. But if a decent ride opened up, I mean, I'd love to see him uh, now because I think he's I think he's the most advanced of all. Know that we spoke a moment ago about Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, their third entry. I don't see Bob going for a rook unless that rookie's bringing six, seven million. Um, anyways. Lena strikes me as someone who is pretty much ready to go right now. Kirkwood, I th- great, exactly what he needed at the right time in terms of that back-to-back win, uh, wins. Even if he ends up winning the championship, I still have a something that says I'd like to see him do a second year. Um, I'll think about that more. Try and come up with an answer as to why. Not that anybody cares. Uh, Malukas... I think he's had enough Indy Lights by the end of the year. Uh, I think he will be as ready as he is. I just don't know. I know that he led the championship up until this weekend, so obviously, and he's won races and done a hell of a job. Battle-hardened. That's the only thing I'm not totally sure if he's all the way there yet. Linus, I think that kid's battle-hardened, ready to go. Kirkwood, I think he's... A long ways there, but I'd still like to see him maybe just get some more mileage and dominate a lights season. Um, but yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see at least two of the three. Malukas is maybe a little bit more of a question whether uh, his father wants to fund that, if that kind of funding is reasonable. Don't know. Or if they have sponsors who might step in. Linus, I think, is going to be okay there. Kirkwood... Uh, I think is going to end up being okay in that front as well. But yeah, um, throwing Devlin DeFrancesco, who I think we're going to see there pretty soon as well. And we're definitely going to have some, uh, some cool, cool uh, developments. Elite Fleet, penultimate goes to you. Marshall, hope all's well with you. They are mostly. I'm an idiot, but that's a permanent condition. 
Uh, been a while since I asked questions, so here goes. Scratching my head with IMSA's LMDH platform coming in 2023. They've picked up so many new manufacturers. Surely the manufacturers are employing the good old actions speak louder than words by joining a platform that gives them much more technical freedom than the tight box that IndyCar is offering. Surely the folks at IndyCar are reading the room, right? Shouldn't that tell them something about what manufacturers want? It's a. Uh, it's not too far off base in some ways. Elite fleet uh, wouldn't paint the LMDH rules as being uh, the super wide open box to play in, though. Uh, there are certainly a lot more variables, but it's not totally wide open. But I would just, I'd say that there's some big international options that come with deciding to do LMDH for automotive manufacturers. By and large, it's the big thing. Hey, you can go to Le Mans. It's one of the two biggest races in the world. It's a giant international event. While the Indy 500 is a big event and does have international reach, it's not something a, quote, international auto manufacturer would uh, join in to do by supplying engines, hoping to sell more of their product in name someplace far away from the USA. It's very much a USA bump uh, type scenario. So your overall premise, though, of, hey, there are a lot of manufacturers who are saying we're going to go and do LMDH, and it's going to end up costing them, by the way, more money over a five-year plan than it would to do engine supply in IndyCar. So keep in mind, it's not just them choosing a sports car prototype route, but also, and one that's hybrid, like IndyCar will be as well, but one that's actually going to end up costing them more money per year than doing IndyCar. So that's another key item. Wow, it's not like, well, it's just, it's they're similar, but this LMDH is cheaper than IndyCar 2023 motor plan. No, so... Yeah, it's the options, as you've mentioned here. Not definitely. I'd say half of it is the technical side. Oh, we can kind of sort of put in whatever motor we want. Well, that's cool. That That's something that we can't do in IndyCar. Uh, the hybrid side's eh, not too strong uh, for LMDH, but okay. But the other half, I'd say for sure, is the we can go lots of places with this. We can do North America, we can do IMSA, Full Weather Tech Championship, Daytona, Sebring, and a bunch of other heavy-hitting events. We can also do the 24 Hours of Le Mans, cherry pick some of the other events, knowing that uh, many of the manufacturers involved in LMDH are based internationally. Uh, hey, if you want to send your cars to do the WEC round in Japan or here or there that might be a perfect alignment with where your brand comes from, or at least the parent company is from, you know, those are some options that you're not going to get here. So, but then there's the counter of, if you look at TV ratings, IndyCar, well, again, it's not NASCAR numbers or, uh, other big stick and ball sport numbers. It's a lot bigger than anything that IMSA offers. So there's a lot of pros and cons here, but, Keep in mind that with 
with the choice to go LMDH. These are full manufacturer things. It says Porsche across the windshield banner. It says Audi. It says Acura. It says all kinds of stuff. These cars are badged as whatever the name of the brand happens to be, a Cadillac, a this, a that. It's 100% that brand, that vehicle, end of conversation. It's a lot different than, hey, we're the ones that make the motor in the car you see, and you know, folks refer to it with our name in it often, but you know, uh, if it weren't for the name that we put on the engine cover or maybe the little badge on the nose, y'all wouldn't really have a reason to know what brand was going by because all the cars look the same. Well, here, and I realize that the prototypes, you know, some of them can look pretty darn similar, but you can at least say, that's a Cadillac, that's a BMW, that's an Audi, that's an Acura. They're promoted as fully independent brands, first and foremost, Everything you see in front of you is us. We can go do international racing. We can do a lot of different things domestically, You all that great stuff. We have control over what motor goes into it as well. That fits what we want to promote. I mean, there's a lot of pluses here. That doesn't fit the fairly rigid IndyCar approach. So I've asked this question before. Jay and, and company about hey, I'm not saying throw everything out, but uh, boy, there are sure are a lot of people signing up to do IMSA's version of a hybrid uh, high-performance racing machine, and not really any other than Honda and Chevy who've been here for a while uh, committing to things. So the answer has come back that, you know, we're like what we got. We're happy with what we got. we got a lot of people talking to us. I know Roger Penske just mentioned in some in a group interview that they've got one or two that they're hoping are going to be serious and might come join in. So that'd be great if it does. Total game changer if it does. But if not, I think they would have to look at what kind of changes need to be made because uh, this sport's not going to survive with just two manufacturers year after year because one of them eventually is going to get tired of it and leave, and then you're really screwed. Uh, let's see. The closer is our pal JJ Gertler says with road America coming up. I need some fashion advice. Oh my God. He says, why ask here? Because everyone says Marshall Pruitt's sartorial style is unrivaled. Everyone says that. Do they JJ? Everyone, AKA no one. I says there's four track of four days of on track action. We can call them warm up practice, qualifying and race. I have the weekend IndyCar t-shirt the Roger Wark Greg Moore t-shirt, the Vote Robin Miller 2020 t-shirt, and a shirt from another podcast that I only wear because producer Thim has a huge promotional budget. That being Ask Off Track with Rossi and Hinch. Is that what it's called? Dinner with Rossers? Tossers. Thimmers? I don't know. Um, It's some other podcast. We love them, by the way. They're friends. I make fun of them. I hope they make fun of me. They should. Um, which shirt is right for which day? (sighs) Well, you don't wear themed t-shirts if you don't want to either make a statement or cause a reaction. So I would say you need to save the non-podcast shirts for Thursday, Friday, because in theory, the most amount of fans, fellow lovers of 
Motor Racing and IndyCar will be there Saturday, Sunday. The Greg Moore shirt, I would say, going backwards, that's your race day shirt, right? Uh, we're always thinking of Greg. And if race day, if he were still here, he would probably be giving a lot of people the business in someone's car this weekend. So Greg for sure in race day. Robin Miller on Saturday. Uh, be in or around pit lane. Make sure one of the TV camera folks see you wearing it. Point to it. Get them to, to air it. Because like Greg, we're always thinking about Robin and hoping that he is uh, uh, getting back to better health to get back to the good old racy track. As for the others... I mean, hey, we love you, JJ. Whether you wear my podcast t-shirt, the Ask Off Hinch with Rossi and Track Thim shirt, um, pick a day. Uh, I don't want to say one's better than the other. Um, I don't honestly know what the uh, Ask Track Off with Thim and Hinch uh, shirt looks like. I'm not sure which of the weekend IndyCar shirts you have. I'd say they're all amazing, but uh, some I like more than others. So uh, whatever, do whatever you think is best. If you wear mine on Thursday, uh, probably not going to be seen by many, but that's okay. Uh, You know, the shirts are for you. They're not for me. People aren't going to listen to the show because they see you wandering around in some uh, uh, cartoon of some fat guy in an IndyCar. Um, The, the, Hinch and Rossi one for sure. They might see that if you wear that on Friday. So they might sign it. You might get a reaction. Um, you might get a dismissive grunt out of Alexander. You might get a tip of a cap, which I would, a big stovetop hat, hopefully, from Hinch. Um, so that, that would be my recommendation. Wear mine on the day with the least amount of people, the least recognition. Go with the Hinch and Rossi one on Friday. Hopefully one of them see it, react, sign it, do something. Uh, Definitely rob it on Saturday. And, of course, Mr. Red Gloves on Sunday. All right, y'all. Thank you for all the crazy amount of questions. Uh, We still didn't get to half of them, but, you know, uh, to quote Juan Montoya, it is what it is. Going to speak to you when? Soon? Um, we're supposed to record with our man, Oliver Askew, today. He's been busy doing Oliver Askew things, so that's been pushed to Thursday, so hopefully we'll get that done. Uh, what else can I tell you? Thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com. And if you get a chance, check out MarshallPruittPodcast.com and our new merchandise page. And if there's anything there that you like, Please take it home, and it would be greatly appreciated. Other than that, I'll speak to you here very, very soon. 